0: Warning,
1: this podcast episode contains explicit content including swearing, discussion
0: of sexual violence and rape and other adult content. Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Verse podcast. We will be covering all of the Verse, and it will be full of spoilers. No, really, we're gonna have lots of spoilers. We'll be discussing the original Shadow and Bone trilogy, the Six of Crows duology, the King of Scars duology, Season 1 of the Shadow and Bone Netflix show, and even Demon in the Woods, The Tailor, and The Language of Thorns. We'll be covering a character, topic, arc, or wild conspiracy theory in each show, so bust out your tinfoil hats and join us.
2: We're a group of three friends who have spent years reading the books in the Grishaverse and discussing them together. Our group chat passed 5,000 messages in the month after the book Rule of Wolves and the Shadow and Bone Netflix adaptation came out. So we figured we should get some live talking in and we'd love if you'd join us for the ride. My name is Anjali.
0: I'm Kat. And I'm JJ. Today we're talking about amplifiers.
1: Okay, cool. So today we're talking about amplifiers. Just real quick, what are amplifiers?
0: In these books and in the show, amplifiers are essentially people or animals that increase Grisha's talent or ability to call on the small science. Animal amplifiers, kind of as established at the beginning of Shadow and Bone, both in the show and in the books, are believed to need to be dead to be used. You kill an animal and you either put it around or in your skin. And human amplifiers like the Darkling and Bagra can be alive and touching other people, or their bones can be worn like animal amplifiers after death.
1: It actually does make me wonder, as you were summarizing this, if Animal amplifiers need to be dead, or if it's just a pure convenience thing.
0: Well, in this show, they actually show Alina touching the stag, and her power dramatically increases. So when she's protecting mm. Mal and the stag, I believe she's able to do it because she is touching the stag specifically. Yeah. So i I do think that's interesting because the stag's not doing anything.
2: I think the the other sort of data point is in book three of the original trilogy where Alina finally discovers Mal is the third amplifier and the possibility of Mal being alive and helping her win the final battle against the Darkling does not appear to enter anyone's head. She knows she has to kill him for it to work. And so there is some some value in the death of that amplifier that will give um, even more untold amounts of power.
0: It's pretty well established that you can use a human amplifier without killing them, which is a strange thing, is just like how well established that is. But I, when trying to rationalize it, I essentially thought if Mal was grabbing Alina, the first thing the Darkling would do would just be kill Mal. And then any hope of that is gone. And so, I
2: mean, I think it's less they didn't think of it or like they ruled it out for some other reason like, JJ pointed out that Darkling could just gr- get rid of a human amplifier. But also, like Alina experiences a surge in power when she touches Mal, and yet they know or she knows that surge in power is not enough. And in fact, when Mal's dead finger bones encircle her wrist yeah, super lovely image that's when like light starts pouring out of her. So there's just a differential in power, I think, between dead and alive, and they can tell
0: that that is a really good point maybe we can also come back to this later on as we talk about did Zoya need to kill the dragon and how we think that works because it definitely we never saw Alina and Mal experimenting to see if it was sufficient we found out it wasn't because there was a different reaction but they didn't try it right
2: they didn't try, and I think the canon around dead things really comes in the second duology, where Juris or Elisabetta like end up explaining, "Oh, well, this is how real amplifiers work," which we will totally yeah. dive into.
0: Does it? Is it explained? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> that's debatable. <laughs>
0: Well, one other thing we know about amplifiers is that it does seem to be disconnected at least somewhat from being Grisha in humans. So there are Grisha amplifiers, and that's primarily, although of course with Mal, not exclusively what we see in in the original trilogy. And then in subsequent books, we do see what are presumably non-Grisha amplifiers being used to detect Grisha making sure they don't get into the Fjord Ice Court, and making sure they're not playing poker or, you know, gambling mm-hmm. in, in Ketterdam.
1: So I actually didn't realize or didn't think that the Grisha amplifiers in Fjorda were supposed to be non grisha Is is that
0: established or? I I don't believe it's established. I definitely assumed that they weren't. Because we had seen Mal be not Grisha, although also not wholly not Grisha in the and you know like right, like right. a little bit of a weird thing, but simply because they did not comment on them being bound or controlled in a way that I would have assumed Grisha working for the Fjordans would be.
1: I think she did mention that that the amplifier had like almost like a dead look in her face, but like very briefly looked up when she touched Nina, but didn't say anything. So I guess I kind of assumed that she was either like, I guess Pyram didn't fully exist yet. So something like that. But the way she Mm -hmm. was described by Nina, I thought she was a Grisha who they like forced to work for them.
0: Yeah, I think in neither of these cases, it was well established. And I I defaulted to the non Grisha because Grisha and Ketterdam seem much more valuable than just as amplifiers, I think. I don't know. Okay, so being an amplifier may or may not be distinct from being Grisha.
1: Yeah, I think Mal is the only like clear-cut example of not full Grisha, but even he is supposed to be like distinctly connected to the making at the heart of the world, which is what Grisha are supposed to be, too. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I guess I assumed that amplifiers, that the only human amplifiers also were typically Grisha with the kind of weird mal exception.
0: Well, I guess this is also my um, my headcanon of we know, other than in the show, we know that the Fold was created by the Darkling trying to create amplifiers and the fact that it was created and swallowed up towns definitely makes me think that he was trying to turn all the Oat kazatsia in those towns into amplifiers. And... Whoa! Yeah. So this is, this is my headcanon for it. And, you know, he would have... I mean, clearly he was willing to sacrifice entire Oat towns for less. Why do you
2: think he wanted human amplifiers and not amplifiers that he himself could use to increase his power?
0: So I, I think he wanted amplifiers for all his Grisha so that they could protect ah, themselves.
2: That's a really cool theory.
0: Yeah. This is I yeah, had I really had never thought of that.
1: <laughs> I don't know Yeah, I think that's a really good theory in terms of like what else was he trying to potentially turn in. Two amplifiers, and that supposedly, according to Bagra, our trusted resource of information, <laughs> supposedly the he, those humans got turned into Volcra. So I think that gives some credence to your theory that he was trying to take those humans and turn them into something else, and it went so awry that they became Volcra. So, we're already deep into it. Maybe <laughs> we can talk a little bit more. Sorry, I took us straight from our quick summary to like, let's get to the heart of amplifiers. Well, it turns out but there's I was, so
0: much to talk about. Like, it's all yeah. very
1: nebulous and connected. I'm actually super excited for this episode. I have so many questions about amplifiers, how they work, where they come from, like yep. human amplifiers, like what, that <laughs> I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we could talk a little bit about animal amplifiers and how that specific part works what we know about it
2: so animal amplifiers work a bit differently in the show and in the book in the book they are a bit more traditional they're worn so for example the stag's antlers become a collar uh, that alina wears like a necklace and in the show it's a bit more crazy the amplifier like some part of the animal is embedded in the Grisha's body it's a lot
1: so I think the symbolism is actually pretty different between the show and the books where in the books the amplifiers are always encircling part of your body so I guess that was supposed to be a deeply symbolic thing and in the show the symbolism seems to be more like they got absorbed into her, and maybe like that was supposed to be the special symbolism.
0: Yeah, well, Alina is the only one who we saw absorb an amplifier, right? We see Zoya's kind of sticking out of her wrist area. Part of the stag that the Darkling got embedded in his hand does not look like Mm. that's getting absorbed at all. That's just gross and like an open wound almost. Yeah, he looks like he
2: has necrosis in the show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty nice. And it gets
1: popped out, right? Yeah. When she like his hand gets hit, it like comes
0: out. Gets hit. She stabs his hand. Right? She stabs <laughs> it
1: out of his hand. When his hand is somehow attacked. His hand <laughs> was, was attacked, out. and we don't know. I'm also Alina's defense lawyer, maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we see her absorb the antlers. And that's something that I'm really, really curious what happens in season two, because that has to like there has to be some meaning there some yeah. connection she's having or forging that other Grisha don't do you have any
1: theories about what it means that it was absorbed or well
0: I wonder what's going to happen in the second season? I mean I think it's possible that they could go the route that Zoya does in the King of Scars duology where it's less about finding three amplifiers that, I guess literally magically do this thing but More about Alina's relationship with the amplifiers and like her as a Grisha breaking a lot of boundaries. That's actually uh, very much
2: what I was thinking. We haven't talked about in this episode how I guess amplifiers are supposed to work like the old ways. And I think we'll delve into that. But I think I was talking about in the Darkling episode is the Darkling a contemporary of a lot of the saints he knew how amplifiers were supposed to work he knew that like a much greater power could be tapped into if if someone gave themselves to an animal, whatever that vague wording is supposed to mean. And yet he doesn't have anybody that's in his army. He lets that knowledge be forgotten. Like none of his soldiers are like actually truly bonded to their amplifiers. They have this very shallow connection to the amplifiers. And it made me wonder, like, does he just not want anyone to rival his power? And also with Alina, you know, he wants her to become very powerful for whatever reason, and he doesn't tell her, you know, how to truly bond with the stag, right? He makes her, he indicates that she should kill it. And instead, Alina ends up doing this, I guess we'll shorthand it as like, mercy, uh, half killing, half sacrifice of the stag. And my theory was that it actually made her have a different connection to her amplifier. And it seemed to me to be closer to the connection that Zoya eventually has with Jurdis than it does to say what Zoya has with her her tiger's teeth amplifier if we're using her as a kind of barometer and I my yeah my theory is that maybe you know the reason Alina becomes so crazy powerful is that she ends up having a deeper connection to at least one of her amplifiers maybe two I wouldn't say she has a crazy connection to the the sea serpent but I don't know what do you guys think
1: I think you're right that the most likely theory is that the Darkling doesn't tell other Grisha about true amplifier bonding because he doesn't want anyone to actually, actually rival his power. But I also think it's possible that he doesn't know how it works since it seems like he can't use amplifiers himself, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe he just actually doesn't understand how the amplifier bond works and wouldn't even be capable of helping them reach that.
0: Yeah, I think it's also possible that the Darkling thinks that one of the worst things that could happen for Grisha is them to start turning into animals, Mm -hmm. and like incredibly powerful animals, and that people are already scared enough of them, that that would just be actively bad, and that they can get enough of the way with just straight killing the amplifier rather than absorbing it. Yeah.
1: It's also possible that the true bonding method is something that's completely out of his comprehension, this idea of you have to give up something of yourself, although it's debatable what exactly Zoya gives up—killing <laughs> Juris or you know bonding with Juris and the dragon—but assuming that you do have to give part of yourself up, that might be something that the Darkling is just incapable of understanding.
2: Of course. Yeah, I just mentioned it because I know it's it's mentioned as it's something that's been forgotten. And now Grisha just do this, you know, in a very like old crotchety man way. Juris explains how kids these days just don't know how to actually bond with amplifiers.
0: Demon in the Woods also suggests that it was kind of forgotten at that time. Right. So they know that, you know, it may be specific to being a human amplifier, that his and Bagra's lives would be forfeit if people knew they were amplifiers, but people definitely jump straight to that. I'm just going to straight kill you and take your bones. We don't get a hint kind of at this additional knowledge, even in his youth. So it would have been forgotten.
2: Let's go back and explain what is true bonding. Because in the the trilogy, we think we know everything about amplifiers. Okay, we just kill this animal. We wear part of it around our body or we merge it halfway into our body like super gross CGI creatures. But... That's it. That's what we got to do. And then in King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, we find out there's like another dimension to amplifiers and they can be so much more powerful if only do you, does one of you want to take a stab at a uh, true amplifier theory and explaining it? <laughs> you guys are both pointing at each other. Okay. I will try to do this, although I have not read these books in, in a while, but I think. Okay. So Juris, who's one of the old saints that Zoya and Yuri and Nikolai end up encountering, says this about Zoya's tiger amplifier that, that ends up breaking. Amplifier, like that pathetic bobble you clung to so desperately. When I slew the dragon, I took his form and he took mine. We became one. In old times, that's how it was. What you practice now is a corruption, the weakest form at the making of the heart of the world. Like I said, Juris is a crotchety old man. And what you're supposed to do to truly bond to an amplifier is that when you kill it, the animal not only gives up their life, but you, the Grisha, give up part of yourself. Now, what that means, to be honest, I have no idea. But these other Grisha were not doing it. And Zoya eventually ends up doing it i guess
0: yeah i i found that really confusing on reread when i was trying to see what she sacrificed because they really talk about this kind of right the sacrifice the giving up the part of yourself but i thought it was an interesting contrast with the story that we get in king of scars of her getting the tiger amplifier because the tiger really injures her there's this whole thing about she's the one with blood in the snow. And so in in a lot of ways, I would have expected that to also be considered a sacrifice. And it seemed like Juris and the dragon were trying to jump into Zoya's consciousness or whatever. And clearly the tiger did not do that, at least in a way that she recognized. But it was not clear to me what the difference actually was.
2: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And again, to stray immediately into another topic, uh, we're so good at keeping on track in this episode. But, you know, I think she does sacrifice more than, say, other Grisha do when they get their amplifier. And that whole story of how she got her amplifier seems so emotionally charged and personal to her. Like, she has a hard time even telling other people like the story of what happened with the tiger. But could that be that she is sacrificing a little bit of herself. And yeah, she doesn't do it the whole way when she gets her first amplifier but she does a little and that's why she's so powerful like she's more powerful than a normal Grisha with an amplifier like Zoya Nazalinsky is supposed to be an incredible prodigy she can use her Grisha power with her hands bound which is incredibly rare and you know everyone talks about how amazing she is and maybe part of that incredible power level that she attains you know pre-dragon is because she had such a emotionally charged, somewhat sacrificing experience with the tiger.
1: Not to downplay the strong connection with the tiger theory, but I think she also trained incredibly hard when she came at age eight or nine and she got the tiger teeth at 13, and she was allowed on the trip because she was already so advanced for someone her age that she was able to actually be a candidate for getting the amphipod. For sure. Teeth.
2: For sure. Not denying that Zoya didn't have like pre existing powers, but I think she also got a lot better since she was. 13 and like I mean I don't know how old she is in the the first book maybe only 17 but we don't actually know like what level her power is before then and so I guess it's just a bit of a tin hat theory that maybe part of the reason her power gets even more powerful is because she opens herself up a little.
0: Juris certainly doesn't seem to think she had a special connection the way he like denigrates the bauble but we also (laughs) know that Juris is not omniscient or else he wouldn't have been killed by Elisabetta unlike Zoya once she has the dragon in her, who is omniscient. That's a great point. So you're saying
1: that Zoya is stronger than Juris was. Is it because we think she's absorbing both the dragon and jurus in a way that juris you know, just
2: absorbed the dragon? I mean, this is like a second-degree amplifier. At this yeah, point. the dragon is coming a long way from his original death. Well,
0: so so like yeah. when someone eventually kills Zoya, is it going to be Zoya and Juris and the dragon in their head? And like, is this going to end up being the sort of thing where eventually there are just too many voices in the head, and like you can't use this amplifier anymore because you'll not be able to think straight because there's too much happening in there
2: yeah like, i mean let's hope no one kills zoya and uses her as an amplifier I guess. well i think in, like, in like a punishment. thousand
0: in like a thousand years she may be ready yeah oh i don't know i'm just trying to imagine the setup for
1: this maybe since she's the queen maybe the heir to the throne would be someone who she would do this like true amplifier of bonding with and then they have her wisdom of ruling and it's a more continuous line
0: that. it's kind of like the interdependency oh i love that
2: that's almost it's like the interdependency but it's also like harry potter and the old headmasters of the paintings in dumbledore's office
0: Ooh. Mm. yeah i yeah once again don't remember that much about harry potter <laughs> <laughs> I remember a lot just, more about the interdependence. Just putting
2: putting something out there for other fandoms.
0: <laughs> All the place that would have been taken up with Harry Potter is taken up with Darkling quotes, so it's just. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to ask for this true this idea of true amplifiership. Is it actually established that there needs to be a sacrifice, or was that idea of the sacrifice from Zoya? pre-Juris and Dragon.
0: What Juris says when he is explaining how human amplifiers work in the least satisfying oh, explanation ever, which we'll get to, but he says, we did not just take an animal's life. We gave up a part of ourselves in return. And so I think that's where a lot of it comes from. It's not clear exactly what that means.
1: What do you think, if anything, Zoya gave up?
0: Yeah, I, I think that like the way the narrative sets it up is what she gave up was her ability to shut herself off from the world, which seems more like growth than a mm-hmm. than an actual having to give up part of yourself. Like, yeah, it was a coping mechanism she developed, but it's like not a good coping mechanism if you're gonna be queen. It's also
2: it's like a weight that's lifted off of her, right? Because she's forced yeah. to confront this thing that she's shut off from herself, because she can't emotionally deal with it. And then she emotionally deals with it, which, yeah, it seems like that's a benefit to Zoya, rather than a sacrifice she's making, like a sacrifice might be eternally being tortured by that memory.
1: (laughs) (laughs) By a tree.
0: I mean, you know, she really, I guess like she really does give up that image of herself as not needing love, and maybe not being capable of love, or being loved. But Again, coping mechanism seems like a benefit in the end.
2: Yeah, it's strictly getting love in her life is a pro. Sure. Yeah,
1: I think it just really confused me. This whole open the door. I was like, what are they? Why are they talking about open the door? And what does open the door really mean? It, does it just mean you know be willing to become a dragon sometimes when it's convenient and fly around? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> so let's go then straight into the. Is an amplifier necessary for that door in the first place? Because there is a lot of talk about opening the door, but there is also a lot of talk about opening the door when Zoya first meets Juris, and she's able to get her power that she had with the amplifier back without getting an amplifier. And he says, when your mind is free, the door opens. She says, what door? And he says, the door to the making at the heart of the world. And she's just kind of able to open this thing and tap into it. He says, there's no end to the power you may obtain. The making at the heart of the world has no limit. It does not weaken. It does not tire, but you must go to meet it. And we really see her developing as this creature. He works with her to really train her. Potentially, maybe, eventually, you could say he was maybe trying to train her to be the dragon. Maybe he was more omniscient than we thought. But she really is able to develop her powers really significantly without the amplifier. That's something that really surprised me, especially because that seems like something the Darkling would have known. That seems like information that could have been shared.
2: One, I would just like to say that I love this theory that Juris knew his doom was coming and was so trying to prepare someone to defeat Elizaveta (laughs) because maybe he wouldn't have been able to do it. So fire theory.
1: So I think this is a great question of the did she even need this true amplifiership to achieve this power? The only two things I can think of that she seemed to get from it like uniquely get from bonding with Juris and the dragon were the ability to shapeshift into a dragon. That doesn't seem like something she could have done. There's no hint that she could shapeshift into any other animals. Although she never
0: tried before. <laughs>
1: She does not try and Grigory is kind of like stuck transforming between different ones. So like, what's going on there? Separate issue. But the omniscience also seems to be tied to the true amplifier ship. I think everything else, I think you're right. Like the actual, like, there were no limits to her Grisha talents, to the ability for her to start using the other, you know, traditional Grisha skills um, besides just swelling seemed to have, she opened that door before.
0: Did she she use any skills other than squalling before killing the dragon? I think she
1: did do some, I
0: can double
1: check myself, but I think she was starting to tap into the other key, like tide making. Mm -hmm. I'll have to check myself on this. Because
0: I I know she Um. does it right after in order to kill Elizaveta because she needs to use fabricator Mm -hmm. power to kill Elizaveta, right? You don't remember off top of head, do you, Anjali? I do not. See, less Harry Potter, more. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Darkling quotes. (laughs) No, I have those. I need you guys to have the other (laughs) stuff.
2: (laughs) Whose quotations should we memorize? Just,
0: you know, exactly the sequence of events of, like, when Zoya did this versus...
2: (laughs) And my problem with these books is I've read them so many times in the show that, like, all events start to blur together, so I don't remember the chronology of anything, and that's a bummer.
1: I have a question about Animal Amplifiers too. Beyond the two that we know, the Morozova's ones, how do other animal amplifiers come about do they, are they just like a natural occurring phenomenon? What are our theories on non mortsova animal amplifiers?
2: Yeah, I wasn't sure if amplifiers came from animals that were predetermined to be amplifiers, like special types of amplifiers, or if it was just trying to find like an especially fine specimen of an animal, like a very powerful, majestic creature, and therefore it would... Like make a great amplifier. To me, it's very unclear in my reading of the book.
0: Yeah. After I read the trilogy the first time, my belief had been that the Stag and the Sea Whip were connected to this making at the heart of the world and thus amplifiers. But of course, if Morozova placed the amplifiers... They would not be amplifiers because they were connected to the making it the heart of the world. Th- these are legendary animals. And so we know they've been around for a really long time, or at least people believe they've been around for a really, really long time. And so there, there is something special about them, but it apparently wasn't the amplifier because that was added later.
2: Yeah, I think he was, I mean, I guess this is, again, my reading. He was seeking out like kind of symbolic creatures to make into these special amplifiers. And that's why, you know, he tried to choose the firebird as like the symbol of Ravka and the legendary sea whip and apparently this stag, which no one else has ever seen, but he thought would be real cool.
0: Isn't it so, I mean, he's like setting them up to be killed. Like it's such a strange... Well, he already killed them first, right? And he, he kills resurrected them, yes. Brings them back and to
2: life. So So I don't
1: think he cares about animals' rights. <laughs> well, it,
0: it, it wasn't <laughs> an animal rights issue. It was a, you know, killing the symbol of Ravka sort of thing.
1: So, can I share my tin hat theory on this? You must. I'm not sure that the other animal amplifiers are actually special or predetermined amplifiers. I think there might be something about how the Grisha view them and when they kill them that kind of imbues them. With this, um, not full-on saying, like, placebo, where they're just wearing these bones and it's not doing anything, but I think there might be something to the act of hunting, choosing, you know, deliberately killing these animals that makes them work as amplifiers once they wear their bones. Yeah, I buy that. Otherwise, I don't understand how you could tell which animals are amplifiers or why some would be and others aren't, like, I... Don't, I can't, I struggle.
0: So, I mean, I think there was the, was Zoya able, did she need the amplifier to access kind of the other Grisha orders? And we do not exactly remember whether or not uh, she used them before or after she had the dragon inside of her. But Juras was priming her to do that, for sure.
2: Yeah, I think there is this like, pre-standing idea right even from the first trilogy that gets repeated a lot from Morozova right are we not all things and no one really seems to take poor Morozova up on his words and tries to be anything from a different Grisha order like the lines seem so established and so maybe Juris is just trying to get her to employ some old school knowledge pre true amplifier body.
0: I will say, and this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but one quote I have pulled up. This is something Zoya remembers. Words she remembered from long ago from the writings of Ilya Morozova, one of the most powerful Grisha ever known. He had theorized that there should be no Grisha orders, no divisions between powers if the science was small enough. If all matter could be broken down to the same small parts, then a talented enough Grisha should be able to manipulate those parts. But Bagra... I mean, we know Bagra lies all the time, but she had said when she was. What? (laughs) (laughs) She had said when she was a child that there were not divisions between orders of Grisha. So I thought that this was an interesting, you know, Zoya is remembering Morozova's writings about the orders, but about how they may not be necessary. But Bagra is saying in her childhood, there weren't divisions.
2: Yeah, I think it brings up this kind of interesting point about how some of the limits on Grisha power may not be physical, but cultural to some extent. One thing that we talked about, I think, like way back in the first or second episode, we were talking about the Darkling bringing Alina irises, like how he even got those and whether, you know, Grisha Aww. could just create <laughs> irises on demand or not. And
1: yeah, all those theories. <laughs> I forgot about this.
2: <laughs> you know, back in the day, episode two, or episode one, actually. And I think there. There's this interesting discrepancy, I think, that comes up in this book, not related to amplifiers at all, but they're talking about coming up with antidote to Gerda Perem and how it would require, you know, creating a ton of gerda and how, you know, that was impossible. So they needed to ally with Novia Zem and that's part of like kind of the political pressure that Nikolai is under trying to ha- navigate this. But we learn in the Six of Crows duology, when we're learning about Jesper's childhood, that Grisha there can actually manipulate plants and plant life. And it made me wonder, you know if Grisha can do things with plants, like, there's a very easy solution to this this like jirda Parem antidote problem. but you know maybe just Grisha and Ravka don't know that they can do that or they haven't been taught or primed to do that where in this different culture like they're very open and they've learned to work with agriculture in a different way. So it's just a theory.
0: Oh, I like that mm-hmm. theory a lot.
1: That'd be cool. Or maybe the Zemene Grisha know that they could actually boost production, but they're like, yeah, for the economy's sake, we're actually going (laughs) to pretend that it's a supply issue. (laughs) So we were talking a bit about corrupted versions of true amplifier connections. Do you think that some of the other relationships we see, especially in the second duology are supposed to be other corrupted versions of this specifically i'm thinking of yuri and the darkling like what's going on with those two and then also nikolai and his demon hmm are those just amplifiers gone bad that's hard to answer i think yeah i think that because so i'm thinking okay the yuri and darkling relationship they're sharing one body they share thoughts. Well, most of the time the Darkling is in control, but sometimes Yuri can take control away from him. But even the rest of the time, he has Yuri's thoughts sometimes bubble up in the back of his head, very similar to Zoya and the Dragon or Zoya and Jirdus. So I think the fact that they're sharing this body, that they're sharing you know, a mental connection of thoughts, re- really reminded me of what the supposed true amplifier ship connection was supposed to be.
2: That is very interesting. and. I think the fact that they're both in this duology, which is about you know sharing yourself with another creature, gives a lot of credence to that theory. That's really interesting. Yeah. I guess I would counter with, do you think either Yuri or Nikolai are connected to the making at the heart of the world?
0: Well, I, I think part of the issue here is the Darkling would not be willing to give any part of himself up to Yuri. And so it may be as you were saying, a corrupted version of that. I mean, the Darkling is literally an amplifier, but they're struggling because it's not a two-way agreement.
1: Yuri gave up so much of himself. And yeah. I think the Darkling, like I was saying before, I think giving up any part of himself, giving up any sort of controls, is maybe the toughest thing you can ask him to do, which is why their connection isn't so great.
2: True, but if the Darkling had to give up part of himself like Zoya gives up part of herself, could it be that bad?
1: <laughs> he just grows as a character. <laughs> I guess, I mean, at the end, he's like, Oh, I want to be a saint who's revered too. I'll sacrifice myself to endless torture. Yeah, well,
0: maybe that that's when. To Yuri's influence. Yeah, maybe that's when he lets Yuri really take over. He's like, I'm going to peace out for this part. You just go ahead and like. Hold it together <laughs> in the tree. Yeah,
1: you're in charge now. I'll be sleeping in the background until we get yeah. released.
2: That seems like classic Dark legs. Like, so.
0: <laughs> How about Nikolai and the demon? I think that's a harder argument.
1: I do think, though, by the end, they come to this agreement, in a sense, where they he says they understand each other. He wants to keep the demon. And it's like part of himself now that really mirrors Zoya and the dragon. I mean, I think Anjali's right. This whole book is all about connecting to other creatures and opening the door in that sense. So uh, to me, the parallels just between each of these relationships are were so striking that it felt like it was possible they were supposed to be corrupted versions of amplifiers.
2: That's true. And I think to my question of, are either of them connected to the heart of the world? They're humans and not Grisha taking on an amplifier. So maybe that's just not a possibility for them.
1: Do you think humans are not connected to the making of the world?
2: I think it's an unexplored question. If a human tries to get an amplifier, what happens? And maybe this is an answer to that question, or maybe it's unrelated.
0: So one of the things that we have talked about, and we talked about some in the Mal and Darkling and maybe Darklina episodes is this idea that human amplifiers seem to be able to impart feelings to other Grisha humans, we're we're not exactly sure to who. And so there's this aspect of amplifiership that we see somewhat inconsistently and it's not always clear exactly what's happening but for instance when the darkling amplifies alina she feels surety calmness and confidence she sometimes feels that with Bagra. she often feels that with mal and whether or not that is actually an amplifier or you know their friendship is not clear but One of the things, I'm wondering if we learned anything from the King of Scars duology about how this might work. You know, how is the Darkling pushing out feelings? Is it what he's feeling? Is this like giving up, you know, some of this like sacrifice opening the door thing? What have we learned? I guess I'm thinking the other... Feelings
1: that you didn't mention, which is kind of surprising for you, is the makeout scene where (laughs) she experiences his supposed anger and desire. I had to
0: leave something for you to talk about, Kat.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I think that part specifically is the kind of interesting one, because everything else, the surety, the calmness and confidence, seemed to me that they could be just him triggering feelings in her rather than him pushing or projecting his own onto her versus the anger and desire she's supposed to be. He's definitely causing her to feel what he's supposedly feeling. I keep putting these in quotes because,
0: you know, our darkly episode. And because all our listeners will be able to see your air quotes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I guess I don't know how it's connected to the human amplifier connection. Honestly, I can't remember other examples of, Grisha, beyond the first trilogy, Grisha experiencing emotions in connection with a human amplifier. Like, obviously, Alina is the one whose perspective we get the most on it. I think Jenya says something about how we all feel the pull that kind of suggests that she's feeling something similar to what Alina does. I'm not, I'm struggling to remember any other kind of mention of these feelings outside of the first trilogy.
2: Yeah, I think it might even be limited to the first two books, really.
0: Well, are there are there other human amplifiers that they're, they're hanging out are the
2: examiners. I think those are the only ones that yeah. really come up, and they're well, not. Well, the
0: examiners,
1: that one that we were saying in Fjorda, we don't know if they're a Grisha or not, but the, an amplifier. Yeah, but she even she had the paraffin in. wax on her. She did.
0: Yeah. Um, of course,
1: Kaz mentioning that there are some in Ketterdam that we don't actually see. So one thing you alluded to earlier, JJ, was about how we learn a little bit more about human amplifiers in King of Scars from Juris in what is quite possibly the least satisfying explanation ever. Mm-hmm. I, when I first read it, even the second time I read it, I was like, I'm not sure. I Is Leigh Bardugo trolling us? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, Maybe we should reread the quote for... Our audience. They are connected to the making at the heart of the world. In the time before the word Grisha had ever been spoken, the lines that divided us from other creatures were less firm. We did not just take an animal's life. We gave up a part of ourselves in return. But somewhere along the way, Grisha began killing, claiming a piece of the power of creation without giving anything of ourselves. This is the pathetic tradition of your amplifiers. So this quote is bonkers. And the only interpretation that made a little bit of sense, but still doesn't really make sense to me, is he's saying that he's a human amplifier because he has an amplifier that he has bonded with. Right? Like, is that is that what he's saying?
2: That's not how I read it. I actually read it as saying absolutely nothing, and I was a bit annoyed by this (laughs) paragraph. Like, it doesn't say anything, because, you know, Juris is really condescending, and the words he says before, the, the, the context of the quote is, he said, have you never stopped to wonder how it's possible that some Grisha themselves are amplifiers? So he's setting you up for an explanation, and then he says that. Which explains nothing about human amplifiers, in my opinion. They're somehow connected to the making of the heart of the world, but how? But why? I, wh- where's Where's the explanation? It's not there.
0: Yeah, he's like he's saying they gave up a part of themselves, and thus amplifiers. And how does that make humans amplifiers? Right, but but too, also though. we seem to be also Drew seems to be confusing, or I'm sure he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> To sure. me, this seems to be <laughs> blending the idea of a human amplifier and a human with an amplifier.
1: Yeah. So I think when I first read this quote, I where I thought he was going to go was something about how the original human amplifiers were ones that had done this like true amplifiership and that's why they were kind of able to also amplify others. I don't Think that explained anything about how current Grisha, who were born like in the last century, say, and presumably did not perfectly bond with an animal amplifier, would be able to
0: amplify? Well, that would be hereditary.
2: I looked this up in their group chat the first time we talked about this quote, and my theory, which apparently I completely forgot about, was <laughs> maybe this is saying that human amplifiers are descendants of Grisha who did the true bonding. With amplifiers and that's why they're rare but not non-existent and it would also kind of explain mal a little bit
1: <laughs> so effectively what we're saying is we still don't understand how human amplifiers work that maybe our best guess from juris's line is that it's a hereditary thing passed on from grisha who did truly bond with their amplifiers
0: in the past yeah i'm gonna say we learned nothing about them. It's possible that we learned less.
2: I'm with you. I think that's true. Okay.
0: So let's get into some rampant speculation now. You know, we, we've kind mm. of tried to...
2: Because we haven't been doing that before <laughs> at all. <laughs>
0: So previously, we've tried to, you know, kind of pull apart the canon and really, like, piece it together. And so let's throw canon to the wind here and see, can you actually have more than one amplifier? And we talked about this a little, like, will, will the person who kills Zoya have her injurious in dragon? But let's just speculate about who might have tried and how they tried and what happened.
2: The books that people reference say you can't have more than one amplifier, but someone needs to have tried to prove it. They don't. They don't say it? that.
0: They say, what is infinite? The universe and the greed of men. That's what the books say about can Grisha have more than one amplifier. And people interpret that as no. I guess, can I answer your question
1: with a question? Why can't the Darkling and Bagra have amplifiers? They totally tried, right?
0: They absolutely tried. What did they try? How did it go?
1: I think we've debated this before, whether or not the Darkling would have been able to find Moritzeva's amplifiers without Mal. You know, my theory being that he needed Mal to find them. If we go with your theory that he'd found them before, he'd kind of like seen them in his earlier youth, but just didn't come back to kill them until he found Alina. Then I'd be like, wait, why didn't he try and kill the stag? At least the stag, if not the sea whip himself at that point why did he decide to let it live? If he were actually experimenting, I would imagine those would be the amplifiers he went after. Wouldn't he experiment with something lower stakes? Not if you were trying to not also test the can you only have one, right? If you are like, okay, I'm going to test each theory, like, you know, one variable at a time sort of approach, then I, he I think in that case, you'd assume like, okay, if I could only have one, and I'm going to test, can I have one? You're gonna go for the most powerful one, right? If you get
0: that one, then you're gonna test the, okay, now can I have two? Can I have three? You know, like, right? So I assume that he and Bagra messed around with this a ton when he was little. That like, they tried using each other as living human amplifiers. And that did not work for whatever reason. But I'm like also really curious if the results of trying to do that were so bad that it led to them really interpreting the what is infinite as a definitive no.
2: Approaching this from a, a purely like science biology perspective, nature is generally not a fan of a positive feedback loop, which is what I would imagine if you have an amplifier on an amplifier.
1: All right, Newton hat theory building off of that. What if when he created the fold, it was actually because he was trying to get an amplifier for himself? It was he wasn't trying to create them necessarily. He was just trying to put an amplifier. An
2: awfully long time to put an amplifier on, if that's the case.
0: Yeah, and di- and didn't didn't he say in his narration he was trying to create amplifiers? But do you really believe? Well, him? because he's not talking to anyone, I do. Like it, it's his... <laughs> so.
1: I also think he could tell himself lies, though. To be fair, and I think especially four hundred plus years later, the way you might self justify might have evolved let's say over time to be like whatever the you've told everyone else or you started to kind of believe it yourself but uh, yeah i know i was actually trying to create more amplifiers fair point also i was putting one around my wrist at the same (laughs) time but we're gonna slide past that that would be that would be so dramatic i think what's tough is current like modern day Darkling. it is really hard for me to understand him wanting to create all these amplifiers for other Grisha, because he's just not selfless and it never does anything that altruistic. I think it's closer to, you know, what we see in The Demon in the Woods and what we're led to believe about young Darkling, including from the Netflix show, that he actually is just trying to protect and help Grisha or help save Grisha. But for me, with the Darkling that I know from current day, it's more in line that he was actually trying to strengthen
0: himself when he created The Fold. Yeah, I definitely view the creation of The Fold as a big turning point for him. In my theory of he's trying to create all these amplifiers so Grisha can protect themselves. He like tries to do something good. He fucks up catastrophically. And then is like, you know what? I tried. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and he, he becomes really bitter and jaded from it. And so I do think we're seeing a very different Darkling than the one who created the Fold.
2: I love that. And I think especially one question that we've asked before is the Darkling and Alina together, they never try to destroy the Fold, right? Like that's, he he has Alina, she has her amplifier. He never uses her to destroy the Fold. Why? You know, I, I think it would be helpful for him in a lot of ways. But I think maybe he just doesn't regret it anymore. Like he's... He's so over it. and just, he's a different person, um, not someone that's trying to correct his mistakes.
1: I mean, not to throw another wrench in there, but all of these are different from what we actually see in this show. Mm-hmm. It depends on how much we want to work that into canon, but he wasn't trying to create amplifiers in the show. He was just really, really fucking pissed when his current lover had been killed and he wanted to make the rest of the world pay, right? Yeah,
0: i I categorically reject the fridging origin story so i i i want to keep the show canon for that separate from my wild hypothesizing about book canon i think i deep i'm like weaving them together now because i do think it's interesting
1: that that was a somewhat like third like the closest we could get to an objective view of what happened in the making of the fold because we were supposed to be like this viewer we weren't actually it's not like you know the darkling is narrating this story to someone we just got shown this flashback that's why i think it's actually this really interesting potential piece of the puzzle or wrench in the puzzle Mm -hmm. mixing up my analogies here
2: one thing that's consistent in the book and the show is that the fold was created through use of merzost right and merzost is this very ambiguous thing actually just means forbidden. But I think to your theory, maybe the forbidden thing could be just trying to have more than one amplifier. And that that was enough to create the fold.
1: I like that. Wow, good use of language analysis (laughs) for that. You know, you know, I'm a sucker for that. (laughs) So I was just thinking that back to our whole discussion around how common are animal amplifiers? Do they just exist in nature or are they created when the Grisha killed them? Assuming we go with the kind of what Grisha believe, which is that they exist and you have to go seek them out, maybe it's actually pretty hard to find them. Like they go on these quests with like, you know, like they were like a group of Grisha to find those white tigers and only Zoya goes home with an amplifier. So I'm just thinking, if the Darkling is really trying to keep control of his army, he's probably going to want to keep the amplifiers relatively evenly distributed, right? So he might also be convincing the Ravkin Grisha to never try to take more than one. Or give them even give them opportunities to. Like maybe he won't take Zoya along on these quests anymore because you already got one, you know? Yeah. I will say though that non and Tamar to try. That's
2: that's exactly what I was gonna say. The non Ravkin Grisha are also limiting themselves to one.
1: To be fair, I guess their parent was in the Ravkin army. Or am I making that up?
0: Or I think yes. I think yes. Are they like half Ravkin? They are. I'm just not sure if their parent ran away from Ravka to avoid being in the army or not. Yeah, I don't. Sorry, I don't remember off top
1: of head either. But I think there, for them, there's probably enough of a connection to Ravka lore and culture, like Grisha lore and culture, that I could understand why they maybe would also be hesitant to try. But okay, how about Viara? Totally separate from Ravka, it looks down on, you know, Ravkin culture, including Grisha culture. I was wondering
2: about that, but I could see um, Fjerdins being disgusted enough with the concept of Grisha that they're, A, are ignorant, maybe, of amplifiers or how they work, or just wouldn't want to make any Grisha powerful enough. And so they wouldn't give them the opportunity to get an amplifier.
0: Meanwhile, in Novi Zem... Everyone's walking around with like three or four amplifiers because <laughs> it turns <laughs> that's out that's the thing. That's how they can control plants. Yeah. <laughs> I was
1: going to say, you know, you were asking like who would we speculate definitely experimented? To me it's Jarl Broom. Mm. He's like the one who experiments the most with Grisha and has no care for what happens to them, if they're okay, you know, if taking multiple amplifiers kills them, you know, makes them lose their power like Alina, whatever. So it is surprising to me that either he hadn't heard of this or, like he said, he's super concerned that they would be able to break out from under his control if allowed this experiment to
2: happen. I would conjecture that the second might be the case and that he instead chooses to go with Jirda Perem because it is a way of enhancing their power while keeping them dependent on him.
1: But even with Jirda Perem, he had to try it the first time without knowing what would happen. Right. So he is an experimenter who doesn't have
0: a lot of regard for potential outcomes. What if, what if the interesting thing about Morozova's amplifiers was not that you could have multiple, not that having them all took away your power, but what if the second amplifier always does that? And it's that Morozova found a way to make it, to push it out to the third.
2: But then people would have absolutely done that and their power would have spread or gone away before.
0: Yeah, it went away, which is why they say you can only have one. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to keep going down this rabbit hole with you. What if it
1: wasn't actually stacking all three specifically that made her power go away, but it was specifically any human amplifier, aka descendant of Swanbreaker, stacking that with one of them, or even use it killing them and using that as the amplifier is actually what took away her killing power. Killing a person? yeah because he would he knew that they would be a descendant of hers total timid hatting here now but yeah maybe he she could have stacked you know the sea whip and the stag and any other and a firebird more normal so, yeah. animal interesting yeah right right
0: so another question is can grisha resist the effects of an amplifier we start the series really by seeing this, right? Where Alina is being mm-hmm. examined and she hides her power from the examiner. And in the Netflix show, she did this by cutting herself. Pain pain makes yep. this unreliable. But with the Ice Court heist in Six of Crows, Nina has to, you know, use the paraffin wax. So is this something that typically can be hidden. What are the rules around that?
2: It seems very unusual, especially because everyone is so shocked that, you know, Alina managed to evade the examiners in the first place. Granted, that probably has a high rate of if other people are evading the examiners, people aren't finding out about them evading the examiners. But it seems to require like an incredible amount of emotional determination and strength and like, Tied to this idea of repression, it's almost like repressing a traumatic memory. So it seems like not something you could reliably do, and an incredible coincidence that you know the first sun summoner would be hidden like this.
1: I think it was also in the book when she meets the darkling for the first time, and he's trying to amplify her. She fights it down so much that he almost gives up, and then he's like, "Not so fast." So she, again, is repressing it there.
0: One possibility of why Alina seemed to be able to do this in a way where they don't expect Grisha to be able to is they, I mean, gets back to is she a Grisha or not? You know, is this a sort of power that they were expecting to be able to pull from her? Examiners are trained to do this, and so it's very possible they just trained to do this for the three orders that they know, and were not expecting to have to pull this sort of power in the way the Darkling wasn't either at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I think the most interesting point outside of the Alina and First Trilogy related to this is what we talked about before, where to enter the Ice Palace, Nina gets tested and has to put her hands in paraffin wax, supposedly to trick that amplifier. So if she had to do that, it does make it seem like either they thought she would be unable to repress it, or it's not a sure fact that she could repress it. Like it could also be that latter that they were like worried that she would be nervous and that it takes, you know, some great amount of concentration, something that she's never really had to do or practice before, that they were like, let's just put her hands in wax to be safe. My best theory for why Alina could do it and why Nina and other like adult Grusha might struggle with this is because at that point, Alina had never summoned before. And I think that is the biggest difference that I see. Like maybe once you've summoned and you know how and you're you have that connection to your power and can call it on command, other people can also. Although presumably most
0: Grisha found by examiners haven't done it before.
1: They haven't done it, but they're also not actively trying to repress the way supposedly Child Alina yeah. was, right? So it's like that combination potentially. Yeah. Like, if if it's a really well-worn path, like you've summoned a lot before, it seems like it would be harder to hold it back. Yes. I don't know. Theories. But basic question. It's pretty obvious if you're touching human skin or paraffin wax. So how good was this (laughs) trick after all? I mean, good enough. Right? I mean, I'm like if I if I touched your hand blindfolded, I could be able to probably tell if you had paraffin wax on it or not.
0: Right? <laughs> Am I like totally off base here? But like how was this be? Maybe working? in this world people use like body lotion that feels a lot like paraffin wax.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's just super, super thin layer and I'm thinking of like the manicure style mm-hmm. where
0: it's like this. Yeah, I, d- I don't know what paraffin, paraffin wax what is. Doing. So it's like when you get oh, a pedicure yeah, like,
2: or a manicure and right. they dip your hands in hot wax and you take them out and they're all coated in white. Nope.
0: Never had that happen. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's like it's real obvious even from the look of it,
0: let alone the I feel. Am, I'm Googling now. It does look obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Big plot hole we never discussed before.
1: So does that mean it's time for our, our lightning round? Okay. For this week's Kiss, Mary Kill... You have the options of Juris, Elisabetta, and Gregory.
0: Go!
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what an array of options yeah, for us. Yeah, I wanna
0: start by saying there's a really problematic age gap here. Look, who do you think is the youngest of the three? Not Elizabeth. That's hard
2: to say, but I would say that Gregory almost seems like a child, so this makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs>
1: Wait, really? You think he's a child? No, I
2: don't think he's a child, but I think the way he acts in the book is like so limited that he seems like this Mm -hmm. clumsy child is how he comes off. And so, I don't know, maybe to not be creepy, I would kill him. Yeah, to not be creepy, I would kill the child (laughs) as opposed to do anything sexual with him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good job. You really dodged (laughs) a creepy
2: bullet I'm sorry, Gregory. I'm so sorry. You already got a short shift in the book, but I'm going to kill you. And then I guess I'd kiss Elizabetta so I could marry Juris. Since if I have to spend the rest of my life with him, he seems like a cool dude. And Elizabetta is like kind of the worst.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Anjali, by killing Grigory, has put herself in a position where now you're connected to an amplifier that doesn't have a consistent body. Like, it's like moving around. So, I'm going to kill Juris because then I'll turn into a dragon. And that seems like the move, right? It's that or bees or like a body form. I mean, it, it does seem like
2: the move. Although I would add that I'm not going to true bond to Gregory. <laughs> when I it's just going to be a quick offing. That's it. Poison his wine. It's a corrupted
0: or one. She's just going to wear his teeth around. And then, so I'll kill Juris. I will kiss Gregory. In the idea of the like princess and the frog thing, and maybe it'll help him find a consistent shape. Sure, that's a very noble of you. That's a thing, and and then I'll marry Elizabeth on the um, keep your friends close and enemies closer. And you know, I'll already be a dragon at that point, and all she's got is a few bees.
2: Yeah, you got scales; they can't sting you. Good
0: (laughs) point. I think I'm actually on the same
1: page as JJ, but for different reasons. So. I'm all well, okay. I'm also gonna kill Joris because I think given your point around the true bonding and who do I want to be bonded with slash have living and rent free in my head, he gets that uh, award. Elizaveta I am going to marry because that woman is really loyal. She's really loyal to her lover. Mm. Like the Darkling effectively imprisons her in the foldish, weird separate dimension prison for hundreds of years and she's still trying to save his body and resurrect him like it makes me feel like I could do no wrong with her so as long as provided I can win her love however the Darkling did I feel like she would be an incredible partner which means Gregory gets off. oh no Gregory gets hooked up with Gregory gets kissed <laughs> I was like, what is the third option? I guess I can't kill all of them.
0: (laughs) We can't pull a Zoya and kill them all.
1: Yeah, I cannot. I mean, I also just kind of feel like Gregory got the short end of the stick, like he said. It was almost like it felt like he was pulled into the books just to explain where the name Grisha came from and he served no other real purpose. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he can have a kiss and then go free. All right. Well, thanks for joining us again this week.
2: Yeah. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode or any ideas or questions for us, feel free to drop us a line at crowclubpod at gmail.com.
0: Thanks. We have already gotten a few emails, which we really appreciate. So we may do a mini listener feedback episode sometime soon. So especially if you have questions you'd like us to answer, hopefully we'll get to that sooner rather than later.